The client in the United Kingdom was particularly interested around the mechanics and anatomy of a networking session. Previous podcasts we put together spoke about how to actually go about preparing yourself, your LinkedIn profile, your resume, and reaching out to people to actually get to network with them. And today we're going to talk about how you do when you network with them. And we're not going to focus on coffee chats in Starbucks and so on. We're going to focus on group networking sessions whereby one of the major firms hosts a group session and invites a number of people across. Because I think those are some of the most uncomfortable situations and situations for, what, for which general etiquette is not really well known or distributed on the internet. So basically, I think it's important to understand there are four kinds of group networking sessions. I mean, there may be other subsets, but these are the four major categories. The first two relate to situations where you did not receive a specific or personal invite. For example, let's assume that you belong to a major university like the University of Pennsylvania, where McKinsey is definitely going to be on campus recruiting, and they have an information session whereby they bring across some of their partners, senior consultants, asso sorry, associates, engagement managers, principals, and so on. It's generally an open invite, and anyone from a certain degree program or MBA class are invited to attend. You didn't receive a, a personal invite. The second group is whereby only people from a specific degree program are allowed to attend. Even in this case, you didn't receive a personal invite, it's just that your class group, for example, all the MBAs received an invite. Those are the first two categories. The other two categories are more specific. The, f the first one is whereby you have received an invite based on a firm having reviewed your resume in the resume book at a, f at, a, at, a, at a school. For example, maybe the uh, Judge School of Business in the UK, for example, has put out their resume book to potential recruiters. Bain looks at this and decides to invite 20 people for a very uh, uh, private cocktail event. The final group, again where you get a personal invite, is whereby you've already submitted your application. And just before the interviews, maybe a day or two days before the interviews, you are invited for a cocktail event. In this particular case, you get a personal invite, but you are guaranteed to get an interview. In the other personal invitation, you are not guaranteed to get an interview. You just looked interesting on paper, and they've decided to interview you along. Sorry, to invite you along. This is what happens when you miss your coffee in the morning. So let's just talk about a couple of the myths that exist about networking events. Firstly, a lot of candidates believe that if they have a weak profile, weak resume, or weak background, they could go into an event and dazzle and change things. In my personal opinion, I've never seen that happen. I've never seen a candidate that is extremely weak on paper go in and create such a dazzling impression of themselves that they automatically get an interview. It really happens because group sessions make it very difficult to differentiate yourself and look different from the pack around you. So the first myth is it's very difficult to change things if you haven't invested time in building a proper resume, you know, thinking through how you're going to present your image, writing a very good cover letter, and so on. Those two things play a very, very big role. There are some caveats to this, and I'll explain what they are later. The second myth is that the firm is holding the event to find out more about you. That's not exactly true. I mean, to some extent it is, but... The real reason firms hold this event is because today consulting is a lot more competitive than it was 20 years ago. Today consulting firms are competing with hedge funds, private equity shops, investment banks, even um, um, uh, these uh, so-called NGOs and so on who are trying to attract very talented people. So 
These networking events are an opportunity for candidates to find out more about the firm. The firm is pretty much going to screen you based on your resume cover letter and if you get a referral based on the feedback from the person referring you. So the second myth is that this is for the firm's benefit. It's for the firm's benefit, true, but not to find out about you. It's for you to find out about them and hopefully people who are on the fence about applying or weren't sure about whether to apply or whether to apply to this office or another office would actually sign up and take it forward. The third myth is that it is mandatory. These events are not mandatory. If you do not show up for them, it doesn't mean you don't get your interview. I know plenty of candidates which we coach, for example, and we'd advise them not to attend an event. And in some cases, we advise them not to attend it, an event because maybe they're writing a PST the next morning and they need to be fresh for that. In other cases, we advise them not to write to attend an event because we want them to show that um, they are not necessarily um, you know, available immediately, but more to show the fact that they are traveling for the interviews. It's a deliberate strategy to show that um, you know they are they are definitely uh, not just pursuing one firm. The point here is that attendance to these events are not mandatory. If you don't attend it, it doesn't mean you will not get an interview, and if you do attend it, it doesn't mean you get an interview and even will you know pass the the um, uh, cases and pass the screening round. So now that I've covered the types of interviews and the sort of three major myths that I see most people asking us about, let's talk about the anatomy of a session. Now, I've been in these sessions a few times, actually too many times to count, and typically it goes the same way, right? You know, as a consulting partner or principal or senior associate or whatever it is, generally I have a lot to do. I mean, even if I'm at these events, my mind is on other things. You know, this client issue, this document that I need to put out. You know, I'm actually thinking to myself, if I stay here till 10 o'clock, will I have enough time to work on my presentation tonight? Or will I have enough time to sleep and work on it tomorrow morning? Hmm. So the bottom line is that you must understand that when you attend these events, the interviewers while they are very serious about recruiting, they do have conflicting demands with regards to time and attention. And it's very important you understand this. So a lot of candidates tell me, well, the interviewers seemed a bit distracted or you know, they weren't that enthusiastic. It's difficult to be enthusiastic every day. Remember something, they have to They've probably been on the road the whole week presenting to other schools. They've also been handling other client-related or project or engagement-related issues. So the enthusiasm kind of wanes after the point. And when you've done this a few years, you don't actually, you're not so enthusiastic about it, but you just show a lot of um, interest in it. So keep that in the back of your head when you engage the interviewer. They are tired. They've seen, you know, every candidate comes up to them and says the same thing. I'm very interested to join McKinsey. I'm very interested to join Bain. Can you tell me more about this? The point is that at a certain point, it's like not hearing anything. You sound like background noise. So how does this work? So you know, imagine you see a partner across the room, you want to speak to them to you know, make them remember you. So you go up to them and introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Jason Hollingsworth, for example. I'm doing my MBA at INSEAD and I'm really interested to join Bain. I'd like to find out more, blah, blah, blah. The point is that you know, to the partner, you, they will size you up very quickly. While you're approaching them and while you're shaking their hand, they'll make a snap decision whether you're you know, a little bit interesting. And then based on what you say in the first 30 seconds, they'll decide if you are worth talking to. And when I say worth talking to, they will look at your confidence, poise, body language, eye contact, firmness of your handshake, the way you dress, what you say, how you say it, when you say it, whether you're scanning the rest of the room for look to look for other more interesting people to speak to. The point is, that is how we make decisions when we are in those sessions. As a partner, 
or as an associate, we'd, we'd judge you, we'd size you up very quickly on these things. And of course, as courtesy, if you ask us the questions, we'll respond. But if we see that, you know, the kind of preparation you've put together, your level of questions is pretty average, then we'll move on. It doesn't mean we're not interested in you at all, because at the end of the day, we're still going to screen you based on your resume. And I think if you make your introduction, it's fine. But the point I'm trying to make here is that it's very difficult to stand out from the pack. And if you do stand out from the pack, it's also a bit risky, which I'll talk about later. But the point is, introduce yourself, make it known that you know you are interested, and finally have something interesting and unique to talk about. You know, it, it shocks me how many candidates will arrive at a session and have really nothing that they've read. They've read just the most basic stuff. They can't talk anything about the office. They don't know any projects that have done. They don't even know the partner's background that is attending. And even though many of the buyers are available before the networking event. So that's the anatomy of a session, right? You come up, you talk to someone, you mingle, and it's very rare where you're talking to your partner by by himself or herself. It's usually, you know, you're speaking with them with about five other of your other colleagues. Which makes it very difficult to bring out what makes you unique, and makes it very difficult for you to even get something in. I mean, if you've got five people there, pretty much everyone will get a chance to speak, and the partner will try to answer questions. Two things I must caution you about. A lot of candidates confuse interest with excitement. Now, let me explain what that is. I have never hired someone when I was in consulting who really wanted to join McKinsey, BCG, or Ben. I've never done that. On the other hand, I know that everyone really wants to join a firm. Of course, why would you be at a networking event unless you really wanted to join it? It's like coming up to someone and saying, I'm wearing a black suit. I mean, that's the kind of obviousness of saying you really want to join a firm. Of course, you, if you're at the networking event, you really want to join it. And if you don't really want to join it, then you shouldn't be saying it in the first place. I mean, you wouldn't go up to a partner and say, uh, I'm not sure if I want to join. I mean, that is actually very unprofessional and you shouldn't do that. So never ever go up to a partner and say, or anyone say, I really want to join this firm. Because to me, that is an immediate warning sign. Someone who's telling me this could have spent that time showing me why they really wanted to join and how would they show they really want to join well maybe showing in-depth knowledge of the work done in a certain office having spoken to many people and then developed some very insightful questions based on what those people have said read a few reports and had some interesting point of views in that or th fourth just wanted to talk about how their profile would be a good fit in terms of culture and so on but the point is you know, an analogy I use is cool people never say they are cool. You never see someone saying, I'm cool. If you're a cool person, you show it in the way you act, dress, think, speak, where you hang out, what you do, and so on. It's the same with interest in a consulting firm. Never say you're really interested. It's just a horrible thing to do. And when I hear it, 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 it automatically tells me this person hasn't done their homework and they're just trying to convey that they're interested without showing they are interested. The second point is, you know, do not confuse interest with excitement. I see a lot of, in every single networking event, I see the bouncing bunnies, male or female, who have this gleam in their eye and they're just so excited to work at McKinsey, Bain or BCG. For them, it's the pinnacle of their career. And to be honest, I really, I don't think consulting firms want people who would see working at McKinsey as their pinnacle of their career. They want people who see McKinsey as a stepping stone to greater things, who see McKinsey or Bain as a finishing school to a major consulting career as a partner at that firm or as a corporate career leading some major corporation. The point is that when you join consulting, you do not join consulting just to be an associate. And frankly, if being an associate is the pinnacle of your career, then I don't think many consulting firms would want you. They want ambitious people who see this as a stepping stone. 
And more than that, they want people who appears to their current associates. A consulting firm is not going to hire you as an associate or analyst if you're a level below the level to which you're applying. So if they see you as someone who's going to be so excited to be there that you're actually going to be distracting to clients and other consultants or associates, they're not going to hire you. The point is, be interested, but don't overdo it on the excitement. Right? You've got to be quite professional, quite calm and confident. Now let's talk about the upside and downside of standing out in a group. You're in a group, you're in a group with five of your Harvard buddies and you're all talking to uh, one of the senior partners from the BCG Boston office. If you've got certain attributes and certain knowledge of a firm that you know sets you apart from other candidates, it is in your interest not to bring it out in a group. Because if you do bring it out in a group, all your colleagues who are largely be underprepared, trust me, they will be, will know that this is the angle you're taking and will build it into their stories. So what we advise our candidates, who we prep very well in the histories, cultures of the firms, and we give them very unique questions to bring out, is don't bring this out in the crowd. You lose whatever advantage you have. This comes to the upside-downside issue. When you're invited to an event, you've got to manage the downside. Right. You don't have to manage the upside. There's very little upside to an event. The sense that there's very little you can do that will make you stand out in the eyes of a senior partner. The point is you've got to manage the downside. You've got to not say something that's political, racist, religious, or in any way biased or discriminatory. You've got to manage the downside. Do not try or do not take the risk of standing out too much. So when you go into an event, manage the downside aggressively and look for the opportunity for a small upside. Don't go for the big upside. Don't go out there to 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 you know tackle a senior partner for McKinsey because you've read his report and you disagree with his analysis. I've seen people do this, and the point is that no matter how smart they think they are, they don't actually know what the objective of the analysis is or was. They don't actually know how the analysis was done. They have very little background knowledge. So it's important you don't fall into the trap of taking on a partner, which is which could obviously go down very well if you were right, but the r- upside risk is that you may be wrong 9 out of 10 times. So manage the downside. Candidates always forget this. Manage the downside and look for small upsides. Now sharing state secrets. When I mean state secrets, I'm referring to attributes about your profile that truly set you apart from other candidates but you haven't brought out yet. And we have candidates like this where something in their past, they haven't really discussed it, no one knows about it, so they've built their profile or their spike around this. Do not bring it out. Now, if you had to uh, get an opportunity to introduce yourself to a partner, you have to know the three things you want to convey to him in your introduction. For example, hi, my name is Anna. I'm a a Russian student. I used to be a a former grandmaster pianist of the Russian Federation. And before I joined Harvard, I used to run my own publishing company, which I started myself. Now, 15 seconds. This lady knows her spike is her artistic background and the fact that she's an entrepreneur. And obviously she's going to Harvard. So she, she, she drives it home very quick, clearly in the introduction. You have to understand what your spike is. What is the reason you will be different from other candidates? What is the reason you'll be remembered? People don't remember the fact that you worked at Goldman Sachs and went to Harvard. I mean, there's a lot of people like that. You know, you, maybe it's uh, distinguishing because you came from the Bronx and not many people from the Bronx went down that route. But the fact that you're at Harvard now and everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of people have that background means that you have to think very carefully about how you'll distinguish yourself from the pack. You have to know what that is and you have to deliberately build that in to any Uh, introduction you make in a private setting. Even in a group setting, and if the opportunity presents itself, you need to do that. Now, while I said that it's very hard to distinguish yourself in these networking events, 
it is easy to be remembered and that's where the spike and the introduction comes in find a way to make sure that when you give your introduction introduce yourself to someone you have a very clear and compelling story that you can deliver in 15 seconds not more than three things we also recommend just two things you want to deliver two very high impact statements that make people remember you and see you are different now if you cannot really change your profile in a networking event but and if you can be remembered what's the objective well the objective is to build a relationship with someone in the networking event so that you can follow up after the networking event when you can you know spill your state secrets and tell them all the key things about yourself that will distinguish you so that's the key thing in a networking event it's to hunt down those people that you think you can follow up with afterwards and start building a more stronger relationship and that's where follow-up is key you know i know people they'll attend a networking event and maybe two three days later they'll be sending up a follow-up note some people don't even send up send out follow-up notes i knew some candidates who would sit in their car after the networking events and on the BlackBerry type up the thank you note. Now, I'm not saying that kind of intensity is um, going to set them apart, but what I'm saying is all other things being equal, the fact that you send up such a soon follow-up note does it does stand out in the eyes of interviews. And when I get follow-up notes, you know, soon thereafter, I'm also quite impressed that candidates, you know, did it so quickly. Especially if it was an event whereby, you know, we were recruiting, say, in Moscow and we'd get drunk with some of the candidates. Well, not we personally, but, you know, we'd take them to a cocktail event and so on. And there was a lot of drink flowing. And the event ended, say, maybe 11 o'clock, 11.30 at night. But the point is, if the candidate stayed up till 12.30 typing up thank you notes, that stood out for me. And I would remember that. The point is, just to recap, understand the type of networking event you are attending. There are many different types. So understand whether your resume had been screened, whether your application had been screened, whether this is an event where they already know you and want you to uh, uh, go through the recruitment, or whether this is just an information sharing session. Secondly, understand some of the myths. It's very rare you change things. It's really for the consulting firm's benefit to get other people to apply and it's not mandatory. Understand the structure of the event, understand the context for the um, consultants who are attending and what they're up against and the kind of demands on their career and time. Also understand that when you are introducing yourself, they've pretty much heard everything before. So you have to really think carefully about what is your spike? What is the one or two things that will differentiate you and build that into your introduction? That should be no more than 10 seconds, 15 seconds maybe. And then your job is to find people that you feel you could build a relationship with after the networking event whereby if it came to the point whereby they need to submit to submit your resume they could do it or if they needed to provide you guidance on the interview process they could do it the key to a networking event is what happens after the event it's not the event itself never ever forget that the networking event is basically a dance whereby partners are chosen it's a little bit like musical chairs and you don't want to be the one left standing because then you're out of it you want to build a relationship with someone and the, the trick here is don't spend too much time building a relationship with someone who is not interested i mean you got to know if someone is interested or not some people you could see their eyes just glance over when you start speaking so don't invest a lot of time because it just becomes awkward with them you know thank them for the time and move on to another person the point is not all consultants are the same not everyone will see the value in your background and to be honest you know the way you dress the way you act the way you speak the how uh, the way you prepare plays a big impact in whether you build some kind of chemistry with someone but always remember this you go into a networking event it's a little bit like musical chairs you don't want to be the guy who cannot find a a chair you want to be the person who's managed to link up with someone or two people if you're lucky and after the event you can call them up on the phone and say hey i had a good time uh, last night but i had a few follow-up questions do you mind if we if we spoke about it and then you build the relationship 
I find too many people seeing the networking event as, as an end unto itself, and it's not. It's a means towards an end, and that end is to build further relationships beyond the, the networking event. And I know there's a lot of networking events taking place. I mean, the Harvard has sent out their shortlist. I mean, in, in the UK, we've seen shortlists going out. Most of the Canadian networking events have taken place already. So, you know, placements have already been done for McKinsey and so on. But there are other networking events taking place. And I just would like candidates to be aware that when you go into a networking event, have a strategy, know how you're going to introduce yourself and understand that the objective of a networking event is to build a relationship beyond the event. And hopefully everything will go well. And just remember, if, you, if, you, if your networking event doesn't go well, it's okay. There are other networking events and there'll be other partners. People understand the pressure you're under and they don't hold you to such a high standard. Just remember to manage the downside risk and exploit the upside risk if it presents itself.